0: I'm Pastor John Peterson. I'm Pastor Luke Ulrich. And I'm Vicar Jacob Kempfert. The Mount Olive Mankato podcast is your weekly message of peace with God through Jesus Christ. We welcome you to join us on Sundays in Mankato to experience the friendship of our congregation and Christ's love. For service times or to learn more about Mount Olive, visit us at mountolivelutheran.org. That's mtolivelutheran.org. And now it's time for your weekly message of peace with God through Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text before us is the gospel lesson for this, the second Sunday after Epiphany. It's from John chapter 2. We hear verses 1 through 11. Please rise as we hear these words in Jesus' name. Three days later, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the, time was, was when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with you and me? My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Six stone water jars, which the Jews used for ceremonial cleansing, were standing there, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus told them, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did. When the master of the banquet tasted the water that had now become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew The master of the banquet called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the guests have had plenty to drink, then the cheaper wine. You saved the good wine until now. This, the beginning of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. We pray. Heavenly Father, send your Son into our midst. As he provided his divine help at the wedding in Cana, continue to send him and the help that he provides into our own marriages and families. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. In our text for today, God reveals his feelings and how, how he uh, feels about marriage and the family. And spoiler alert, he's forum. He's in favor of them. He's pro-family, pro-marriage. He wants to be part of your family and marriage, and he wants you to want him to be part of your family and marriage. And really, this goes all the way back to creation. You recall how after every day of creation, God looked, and behold, it was good. Even on the sixth day of creation, after he had created the livestock and beasts of the field, He saw that it was good. And then he created Adam. Then there's this interesting verse found in Genesis 2. God says, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So we're then told that God took a rib from Adam and he formed Eve. And he came and he presented Eve to Adam and gave Eve to Adam as his wife. And there, God instituted and started and created marriage and the family. As Genesis chapter 2 explains, and Jesus himself would later quote it, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. After creating male and female in his own image, after instituting and starting marriage and family, Then did God declare at the end of the sixth day, Behold, it is very good. Dear friends, do we say the same thing about God's institution of marriage and the family? Do we treat it as if it were very good, as if it were this precious treasure handed down to us from God himself? Or are there times where we treat this divine institution as the sinful world around us does. is some sort of outdated cultural construct that needs some redefining. Sometimes we treat marriage as if it's not till death do us part, but only so long as we are happy. Have we become complacent ourselves in our own marital and family relationships Are we letting selfishness, our own selfishness, our own laziness get in the way? We're not letting love or selflessness dominate. Instead, we're letting our own selfishness invade our relationships. Have we gone soft on certain issues like divorce or like moving in with a boyfriend or girlfriend or having sex and intimacy with someone that we're not married to? Are we filling our heads? Are we reprogramming our worldviews according to the songs we hear on the radio or the TV shows, the movies, or the things that pop up in front of us as we surf the Internet, these things that accept and even promote sexual sins? Is this how God designed it to be? Is this what God wants? Are we still today saying, yes, Lord, What you have declared to be very good is what I also find to be very good. Are we respecting and promoting and loving God's institution of marriage and family as we should? Don't we all need to throw our hands up and say, Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy upon us. It's clear that the devil has gotten his claws into us, hasn't he? And that he is actively working to wreck and destroy what God himself has built. How desperately we need and how we should want what that newly married couple in Cana had Jesus present in their marriage and family. It wasn't splashy, it was only a small number of people that even realized that Jesus had performed this amazing miracle. Mary, probably, the servants, the disciples, Jesus himself, he doesn't even get credit for this amazing miracle that he performs. The wedding planner, the master of the banquet, he goes and he speaks with the groom. He gives credit to the groom for bringing the good wine out, only when it was unexpected. And as we look at this account from John chapter 2, we can ask, is it really that necessary? Sure, it could be embarrassing for the, the bride and groom to run out of this expected party supply, but presumably the people had already been, been drinking, and if all of those jars that Jesus had filled to the brim, if all of them would have been turned into wine, that would have been equivalent to about 750 bottles of wine. Was that really necessary? It's not like someone was possessed by a demon or critically ill or dead. Why this miracle as Jesus' first miracle? Dear friends, doesn't this miracle emphasize what was already emphasized at creation? That from the very start of mankind, we see how precious, how important marriage and family is to God. And we see this also reflected at the very start of Jesus' own ministry. This first miracle shows us that Jesus values this institution of marriage and family. And he desires to help and bless marriages and families. It's really incredibly comforting to us as we look at this. Because it shows us the heart of our Savior. It shows us that he has compassion for these relationships that we have. He wants us to have his divine help even as we face our own problems and struggles and troubles in our family relationships and in our marriages. How comforting this is for us, for us who royally mess up these relationships, who have sinned in these relationships, As we hear this this gospel lesson and we see Jesus' willingness and desire to help, it should cause us to shout out, yes, we do want Jesus to be a part of our marriage and family. Lord, be present with us. We need you. We need your help. And we trust in you to provide for us. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing at that wedding in Cana. He provides for a marriage and for a family. And in doing so, he shows us his willingness to likewise be a part of our family and marriage. You know, as we find uh, ourselves facing problems in our different relationships, we see a great example to follow in our text of Mary, Jesus' mother. What does she do in our text? She comes before Jesus and she just lays this issue out before him. She comes before him on behalf of these loved ones and and she recognizes that there might be a problem. This might bring shame, might be embarrassing for them. She doesn't hesitate to come to Jesus and she places her trust in him and she does so even though he responds to her in a challenging kind of way, doesn't he? Sometimes he does the same for us. He challenges us at first. To Mary, he says, woman, what does that have to do with you and me? But like Mary, we can continue to persist and continue in the face of these problems to put our trust in him. That's what Mary does in our text. Even after Jesus says to her, my time has not yet come, it is clear that she has faith in him. She has faith in his heart, in his desire and will to help. Why else would she then say to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do as she then walks away? And notice how she comes to Jesus she doesn't offer suggestions. She doesn't presume to tell him what he should do to fix the problem. She just lays it out before him, and she trusts in him to know what is best, and she leaves it at that. It takes confidence to do that, doesn't it? A confidence that, that we too can have. So how then does Jesus respond to Mary? Well, He is compelled. He can't help but come to aid those people. And he gives abundant, generous help at that wedding in Cana. As we already mentioned, all of those jars of water, they would have been equivalent to 750 bottles of the good wine Well, just as Jesus was willing to help there, we can be assured that he will continue to help us in our marriages, in our families, and that he will help us abundantly. We can absolutely trust this. And especially because Jesus assures us of his great love for us. And he does that in our text, especially with those words that he speaks to Mary when he says, my time, my hour has not yet come. At first glance, it might seem that Jesus is being a little bit sassy. Woman, my time has not yet come. Why such a response from Jesus to his mother? Well, first of all, it's interesting that he does not refer to himself as her son here in this instance. Instead, he is responding to Mary in his other role, in his other vocation, as, his, as her Lord and Savior. What was Jesus talking about then when he was saying, my time, my hour has not yet come? Might be puzzling at first. Because he does go on and he performs this miracle. He, he shows his divine power. What is Jesus doing here by referencing his time, his hour? Well, really what he's doing is he is pointing Mary and he's pointing all of us to keep the greater miracle, the coming miracle in view, to not let these lesser signs cloud his true purpose for coming. Jesus is pointing to the greatest love of all that he would be revealing and making known to us as he would go willingly to the cross to suffer and die. And if he is willing to do that, well, then we can have confidence and certainty that he's going to help us in our marriages and families as well. Even here at the start of Jesus' ministry, we're being directed to the ultimate purpose of Jesus coming into the world. We're pointed to the cross. You know, it's interesting. I think John is purposely doing this, especially in the book, where he, he records Jesus' words to Mary, and it, it's kind of striking when he refers to her as woman. The next time in the book of John, where we hear about Mary, Jesus again refers to her as woman. Do you know where that is? It's when Jesus is upon the cross, and he says, woman, behold your son. I think John is connecting us, uh, is connecting that account in John 2, the wedding at Cana, to the cross. And then it's interesting, there as Jesus is hanging on the cross, after saying, woman, behold your son, he turns to John, his disciple, and he says, behold your mother. Is Jesus interested? Does he care about our marriages and families? How incredible this is. Even as Jesus is hanging upon the cross, suffering and dying, he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about his family. And he's putting Mary first. He wants to make sure that she is provided for and cared for. It's also interesting how several times throughout the book of John, Jesus refers to that coming future time and moment where he would be glorified. In fact, in the the following chapter, in John chapter 3, he's talking with Nicodemus, and he referenced this. He He references this, and he explains that there would be that coming time where the Son of Man would be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. Or later on, in John chapter 12, after Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday... He makes this statement. He says, now the time, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. At the wedding in Cana, when Jesus says, my hour, my time has not yet come, he's he's really pointing everyone ahead to something far more glorious and amazing that would be happening. Something far more miraculous, far greater than turning water into wine. He's pointing all of us ahead to the true glory that belongs to him as he would be put on public display on the cross. Where his, his crown would be a crown of thorns. Where it would look like complete humility, complete embarrassment, and yet it is his true glory because he is winning for us what we need most of all, forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is pointing everyone ahead to that future day where he will solve not just a simple problem like running out of wine at a wedding, But he will solve the most difficult, toughest crisis that every family and marriage faces. He will solve the problem of sin. With his holy, perfect life, Jesus throughout his life, he maintained how very good God's institution of marriage and family is. And there he won righteousness with his perfect life, a righteousness that he now desires to share even with those who have failed to keep God's institution of marriage and family. And for all of those times where we didn't consider or act as if marriage and family were very good, what does Jesus do? He takes that sin of ours, he takes that guilt, and he takes it with him willingly to the cross, and he pays for it all in full with his blood. And then, dear friends, what comfort, especially our marriages and our families, have on the day of resurrection. Our Lord Jesus is risen. He lives, even still now, and within him lives a desire to help you and me in our families and in our marriages. What confidence, what hope we have because of that. And Jesus does help. Sometimes he helps and we don't even realize, kind of like what happens here in Cana, kind of flies under the radar. He makes things happen in a way that people don't always realize or appreciate. He's at work like that even now in our marriages and families, and we trust him to continue to work in that kind of way. At other times, we can clearly see the active, powerful hand of God as we face problems and struggles. But for us, what we should do always is to continue to let him point us to what our marriages and families need most of all, the cleansing, forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life that comes to us from our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, that he freely shares with us, his bride, the church. And he shares this even with you here today. He shares these most important things that you and your family need as you gather here with your family, with your loved ones in church. And Jesus' own words are shared with you as they were shared already. The words of absolution, declaring you to be forgiven at peace with God. It comes to you also here in this place once when you were, probably most of you, a little baby. The water of baptism was shared with you, placed upon your head. And in that moment... Jesus, he made an incredible vow to you that he loves you, that he will never leave you or forsake you, and that's a vow that he restores to us again and again every time we turn to him with repentant hearts, remembering the fact that we have been baptized. Jesus shares with us also this most precious and important thing that our families and marriages need as we gather around his altar, and he shares with us, as he does this morning, his own body and blood. He once turned water into wine. Well, here he performs another incredible miracle. He takes bread and wine, and with it he shares with you his own body and blood for the full forgiveness of your sins. He forgives you and me our sins. Here in this place, he also forgives our, our family members, our spouses, their sins. He works to restore these relationships that we struggle with, that we have broken, and he restores to us the peace that we should have with God, which then also restores to us and helps to rebuild the peace that we can have with each other. He is at work to to restore what God originally wanted and designed marriage to be and family to be. At the very beginning, very good. What is revealed to us at the wedding in Cana is that Jesus has a heart of compassion, especially for marriages and families. He has a desire and a will to help our marriages and families. And so in faith, we invite our Lord to be present. Yes, we need, we want Jesus in our marriages and families. All glory be to him. Amen.